Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Amen. If you stay standing for the reading of God's Word this morning, we're going to start a new series called Disciples. We're going to look at what it means to be a disciple of Christ the next several weeks. Let's read this out together from Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? You can be seated. As I said, we are going to be continuing in our, or we're going to be starting a series today called Disciples. And we, week to week, we'll look at kind of different aspects of what it means to disciple, all coming back to the idea of what does it mean to pick up our cross and follow him. Before we jump into our text today, which is uh, going to be in Luke chapter 10 uh, and John chapter 11, I wanted to ask this question. Have you ever watched a documentary or a show or read a book or talked to somebody and afterwards you had a fundamental perspective change in your life? It was like you you watched this show or maybe you talked with somebody and you left and you thought to yourself, I cannot unhear or or un or uh, or un, unsee or or what I've just been told. Like I, I have to change my life because of this show or this book or this person. You ever have that type of experience before? Well, I'm going to share, I asked this question to my wife this week, Amber, and she gave me permission to share this. I asked her, like, what's this for you? And in, uh, in 2019, there was a show that appeared on Netflix called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Okay, I'm hearing some giggles. I think you know what this is. All right, so if you don't know what this is, there's this girl named Marie Kondo. She has this philosophy on life when it comes to tidying up your home and releasing things into the world. Okay, if you saw this, you know what this is all about. And so here's what happens. Let's just say you have like a shirt. Let's say you have a shirt. And you would look at that shirt and you would ask yourself, does this spark joy in my life? If the answer is yes, it goes into the keep pile. If the answer is no, you then do this type of thing. Thank you so much for all of the years we've had together. Listen, it's me. My, it's not you. My styles just have changed a bit. You know, maybe when trends turn around, maybe we can give this another shot. You know, and you kind of put this in the discard release pile. So this was really popular. And it was a popular around a time that we were moving. So when I came home one day and went to Amber and I said, Babe, where's my favorite Christmas sweater and my Darth Vader poster? She looked at me and responded, that doesn't bring me joy. 
And I was like, I don't, I'm not sure that's how it works, but whatever, that's okay. And so there are philosophers in our society. They express to us a way of living, a way of seeing the world. And we've always had philosophers. Sometimes it's about the whole perspective of the universe. Other times about a particular thing like cleaning your house or decluttering your house. But the reality is we've had philosophers for all ages. You might consider Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Immanuel Kant, Karl Marx, all these philosophers, whether good or bad, they were philosophers. And what did they have as well? Followers. They had disciples. Every disciple, for every disciple, there is a rabbi. That's the first thing I want us to consider. For every disciple, every follower of any teacher, there has to be a rabbi. See, people can teach, but if they don't have disciples, it doesn't matter. But when you have a disciple, by their nature, they are learners, they are pupils, they are people trying to learn, they have to have a teacher, a sage, a rabbi in our instance. And in Jesus's day, there was two main schools of thought. When we look at disciples and discipleship in, in Jesus' time, there was two main uh, Jewish kind of schools that people followed. And in both schools, there were some similarities. They would look for the brightest young men to bring up into their school. They would train these young men in order to see a way of living, a way of life, a way of perspective. And they would hope that these students would rise up and then they would go and spread that out. Paul even mentions this about himself, that he was a rising star, that he was uh, one of the, the, it was like a Jew among Jews, right? He was this, this rising person in the Jewish scene. And yet... Even though in this backdrop, this is happening, Jesus comes along, a young 30 years old, with his school, with his perspective. We see him taking up moments where he is describing himself and showing himself to be this great philosopher, this great rabbi. Sermon on the Mount, it tells us that he sat down taking the position of a philosopher and then started to teach and say things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. That's what a philosopher, that is what a rabbi does. It's more than just religious teachings. It's about how this religious teaching influences us on an everyday basis and how it works out into culture. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus often assumed this mantle of rabbi and we see plenty of different types of people from all over the spectrum of society call Jesus rabbi within the New Testament. And this is what's so amazing about Jesus's ministry and his school of thought. Jesus doesn't choose the brightest students. Instead, he chooses fishermen tax collectors, Gentiles, and even women to be his disciples. See, Jesus goes after those that were seen as not as useful or in some sense, not as high up on the totem pole. 
He goes after those types of people and says, come and follow me. Those that were rejected from the two schools of thought of the day, he says, no, you can be my disciples. In fact, when you see the rich, the young, the influential, like we see in the rich young ruler, what does Jesus do? He challenges him and says, I don't think you have what it takes to follow me. And he goes away sad. Because in Jesus' kingdom, in his school of thought, he doesn't care about notoriety. He cares simply about trust. Jonathan Pennington describes Jesus like this. The reason Jesus was so infuriating to both religious and governmental leaders was not because he was taking up arms and trying to overthrow governments, but because his radical teachings were so subversive to society. Jesus was subversive because he sought to reform all sorts of relationships in his teachings and actions, Jesus continually subverted fundamental values of both Jewish and Greco-Roman society. This is what he means. Jesus' way of life was so radical because it not only was countercultural to the world outside, but it also challenged the people of God themselves. And the same is true today. When we look at Christ and his way of life, his way of living, if he is our rabbi, it should inform us about what's going on in the world, but it should also inform us about what's going on here and, and cause us to ask questions. Are we following our true rabbi with the way that we are living and what we're doing and what we're teaching? So this morning, what I want to do is I want us to look at two figures in scripture. They're not a part of the 12 kind of main disciples. These are two figures that are only mentioned a few times, but I think when we look at them, we can see the foundations of what it actually means to be a disciple. And what I hope for us to see this morning is that disciples choose to follow. Disciples trust when it gets difficult and his disciples declare because they have made a face-to-face -face revelation with the Savior. So we're going to look at the story of Mary and Martha this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke 10, verse 38. It's going to be our first passage. And what I want us to focus on is that disciples choose the good portion. The disciples choose the good portion, the presence of God. Verse 38, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. That's gonna be important there. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. There's a few things I want us to recognize from these verses that will help us to understand this, this first portion of choosing. We have Martha who's busy, she's serving, she's doing. You have Mary who comes and sits at the feet of Jesus to hear. Now that's important. The fact that 
Mary sits and hears his word is indicative that she is a disciple. She's choosing to listen. She has allowed herself to be in this presence with her rabbi. We know elsewhere, other people call Jesus rabbi to acknowledge their lordship. In the next story, they acknowledge him as the master, as the rabbi. So we know that this is what she was doing. Now, this is really significant because when Jesus teaches, he sits, right, with Matthew 5, he sits to kind of declare that that he is a philosopher. Well, do his disciples stand while he's sitting? No. What do they do? They sit lower. And so from this text, what, what we can glean is that she is sitting in this posture of accepting and of submission. I'm going to accept this way of life, this, this teaching from Jesus himself. And so she sits to hear his word and what he has to say. And as a disciple, this is good for us. And here's why. Before Jesus asks you to do anything as a disciple, you first have to sit and listen. A lot of us can get preoccupied like Martha to serve and to do and just you know, always be busy. But the problem is if you always are doing that to the neglect of sitting and listening, you're missing out on actually what it means to be a disciple to begin with. And that is to cherish the presence of God and to listen to his voice. It's about discernment. The more you sit and listen to his word, the greater discernment you can have when you're going throughout life. And this is the the point. Mary is sitting and discerning the word. She's deciding what is the good portion. Sometimes disciples, we have to determine between bad and good. Sometimes we have to decide between good and best. It's good that Martha is serving, but it's not the best thing that she could be doing right now. We need to sit. We need to be able to discern or what will happen. What we'll see with Martha. Martha is troubled and she's being pulled away from the presence of God. Which voice as disciples are we listening to? The voice that says, you really should worry about this. Or how about the voice that says, hey, you're not working hard enough to earn God's love and appreciation. Or maybe it's the voice that says, did God really say you shouldn't do this or do that? Or maybe it's the voice that says, you've gone too far to be redeemed by God. Or maybe it's the voice that says, you know what, it's okay for God to play second fiddle and be in the back seat while you run your own life? Or are you listening in the voice of Christ himself when he says, I am the good portion, I'm the good part? Because here's what's gonna happen. If you're only busy serving and doing and allowing that to drive you, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're gonna burn out because you don't have the presence of Christ to to fulfill you, or you're gonna become self-righteous. Fundamentally, first, what it means to be a disciple is actually sitting and listening to Jesus' words himself. You can't just do. You can't just do all the outpouring. You have to be poured into by his word. The second thing I want us to see is that disciples trust, and this comes in our second passage in John 11. Little context, Mary... And Martha 
have sent a messenger to Jesus that their brother Lazarus is sick and about to die. Jesus decides to wait a couple of extra days so that by the time he gets to them, Lazarus has already been dead for four days. Let's pick up in verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. That's Lazarus. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was still sitting in the house. Now, I want to kind of describe what's happening here. Because this is important in verse 20. The text tells us, and other translations do this a little bit better, to describe that both Martha and Mary are in the same place at the same time. Both of them have heard that the master, that Jesus is on his way, and the but Mary was still sitting can also be read as while Mary was sitting in the house. Okay, while Mary was sitting in the house. So the idea here and the implication is that they're both there, but only Martha goes out to meet Jesus while Mary stays inside. So Martha goes out to Jesus, verse 21. She says, Lord, if you had, not, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I want you to take a pause and look at that sentence. Because this part of the, the verse is going to be repeated in a moment from Mary's lips. But the second part is only Martha's. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. See, Martha shows us that as a disciple, it's okay to go to Jesus and be honest and to be upset. She says, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Martha is probably upset. We know that later on, Mary says the exact same thing. So obviously these two have talked about it and are like, man, if Jesus was here, our brother wouldn't have died. They're probably bitter. They're probably angry. And Martha goes out to see Jesus and to tell him that she's upset. My brother could have lived if you came sooner. Whereas Mary in her bitterness decides to stay in the house and not even go out to meet him at all. And this is what's beautiful is because then Martha, instead of allowing that just to sit there, she then decides to declare the truth of God and say, but I know that you can do whatever you ask of God. And Martha has to go back. She has to go to Mary then and say, hey, the master wants you. He's calling for you. Now, let me kind of put this in perspective of what this could look like in your average like household. Again, this is going to be a completely uh, made-up story. So imagine for a moment my boys are playing upstairs in our loft, and they hear the garage door open, and they know that dad has come home from work. They're playing upstairs with their toys because I took away their switch. Jonathan runs down the stairs... He opens up the door to the garage. He meets me and he says, Father, oh gracious and wonderful, you delight in your children. I'm upset with you that you took away my switch, but 
I trust you that you know best. Again, it's a completely made up story, okay? Um, that's that's kind of what's happening. And then I say, hey, why don't you go get your brother? And he runs upstairs and he says, Mason, dad wants to see you, right? That's what's happening here, okay? I want you to get this picture. Martha goes out, she says her piece, and then Jesus, and then she reassures that she trusts in him. And then Jesus says, go get your sister. Why is she not here? The one who's so, so delighted in my presence. Why, she, why, why are you the only one here? Go get her. And so that's what happens. Martha goes, gets her, and Mary reluctantly goes out to see Jesus. And this is what happens in verse 32. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's no condition after that. There's no, but I trust you after that. It's just a statement. If you would not have been here, things would have been so much different. Why did you fail me, Jesus? Why is he dead? Why didn't you come through when I asked for it? But this is the beauty of the gospel. Look at verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And before we give Mary such a bad rap here, I think it's important to acknowledge two things. That in the end, both Mary and Martha ended up choosing the good portion, but did it in different ways. See, for Martha, she had to go out. She had to say what she was thinking, and then she declared what, was going, what God was going to do and declared her trust in him. Whereas Mary... Sometimes the pain is just so deep for words, you don't even know what to ask for and you don't even know if you can even talk to God sometimes. And so what Mary does, instead of declaring God's word, look at what she does right before she says this. Even though she reluctantly went out there, it says that she fell down at his feet. Whether you go out reluctantly or not, the point is here, declaring the truth of who God is sometimes looks different. For some, it's verbally communicating, I am going to trust that God is this, this, and this. And for others, it's just breaking down and crying at the feet of your Savior. But this is what it means to be a disciple. We long for his presence and choose the good portion, but it doesn't stop there. We actually put it into action when we need to. When things are not going great, when we're upset, when we're frustrated. We have to take what we have learned when we listen and discern the voice of God and we actually have to put that into words and into action in our life. What good is it if we learn how to sit and listen if we don't actually know how to put that into action on a daily basis? For the past 10 years, Amber has told me that we are never, ever, ever getting a dog, ever. And after several years of wanting that, I finally became content in not having a dog. And I noticed some of the reasons why. It's because I liked dogs when my parents were responsible for the dogs. 
Well, three weeks ago, she started sending me uh, puppy pictures. I'm like, what's going on with my wife? She's puppy crazy. And five days later, I don't know what happened. We had a puppy in our home that we named Dobby from Harry Potter. Now, it's been going okay. It's been wonderful. He's a good dog. He's learned how to sit, which is great. He's learned how to shake, which is awesome. He's learned how to go to the bathroom outside, praise Jesus. But you know what he doesn't do well and doesn't respond to? Leave it. Get down. Stop biting. Really, any command that has to do with self-control, he has not gotten the gist of yet. Now, imagine for a moment, one that my dog can talk for a second because he's about to talk to me. So imagine for a moment, dogs can talk. But imagine it's three years uh, down the road and he's still not leaving stuff alone that he needs to be left alone. He's still biting. He's still jumping. He's still hoarding all of his stuff. Imagine for a moment, he's doing all that. And I said, Dobby, what is wrong with you? Dude, you really need to get your act together. You really need to leave that. It's not going to be good for you. Leave that alone. And he says, but I can shake. Look, I can sit. At some point in every disciple's life, The things that we had in the beginning that we learned as disciples, we need to continue those things. But if you haven't grown in your relationship with Jesus in three, four, five years, whatever that looks like, then that's a problem. If, let me put it this way. If you haven't figured out how to deal with your anger in a positive, God-glorifying manner, and you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, that's a problem. If you haven't been able to deal with bad, sinful habits in your life, and you've been following Christ for a long time, and you're making no effort to deal with that, that's a problem. If you're not generous and still hoarding all of your resources as a follower of Christ, that's a problem. Because here at the crux of what it means to be a disciple, it's this. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus and expect not to change. Disciples change. It doesn't matter how much you know the Bible, how much theology you can spit off. It doesn't really matter how much you serve or how many ministry teams you are on. If you are not valuing the presence of God, his word, if you're not putting that into action, and if you're not changing. What it means to be a disciple is to become more like Jesus. It's his way of life, his way of living, his thought process, his perspective, If you have had no bad habit broken, no sin confronted, no increase in the fruit of spirit, no increase on the level of your submission to Christ, then you need to ask yourself this question. Is Jesus truly my rabbi or have I created a rabbi in my own image and I just call him Jesus? Because that is the foundation of what it means to be a disciple. He is our rabbi. I am his disciple. And so I will trust him 
even when I don't understand it. And I will prioritize him over all else. The last thing that we see in our text is that disciples declare who God is. Look at verse 23. Martha at this point is still talking to Jesus. Jesus says to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And look what she says. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is to come into the world. When we look at scripture, when we see people coming face to face with Christ outside of the religious leaders, most of the people that Jesus interacts with leaves declaring who he is. The woman at the well is, is, meets Jesus and after receiving the living water, what does she do? She goes back to her town as a missionary and she tells them about the Messiah. The demoniac is healed and what does he do? He goes and tells people about the Messiah. Even people Jesus healed and said, don't tell anybody, what do they do? They go and tell people about who Jesus is. Why? Because when you come face to face with the Savior, the only response is to tell other people about who God is and to say that Christ, the Son of God, has come into the world. This is what disciples do. What Jesus has done is he has accomplished everything needed for us to be made right with God by being the only acceptable sacrifice for our sin, but also the greatest victor over death and sin and the powers of evil. He has done all of that. Why? So that we can be his disciples and follow in his footsteps. We can move forward in full confidence listening to our rabbi, our great philosopher. And it's for everyone. It's not just for the elite. It's for the outcast, the ones that aren't deemed worthy in society. And if you want to see an example of how this plays out in scripture, we don't have time to go there, but Acts chapter two describes the atmosphere in the church. Some high moments here, high points of this text. They were extremely generous. They engaged with one another on a regular basis. They were loving and humble. They were kind towards their enemies. They lived such radical lives of obedience to their rabbi that they found favor with all people, both Christian and not. Now, let me ask you, does that sound like the perspective that our society has on believers today? Because the fact is, many Christians haven't been kind, loving, or generous, or humble. The fact is that many have been self-righteous, hypocritical, quick to condemn, power-hungry, and reactionary to our culture. And not every Christian and every church acts this way. But the fact is this. 
If we want to see the gospel spread in Lebanon and beyond, if we want to see God move, we have to do what the earliest Christians did. We have to ask ourselves, are the way that we have been living, the things that we we believe, the way that we have gone forward, not only as a church, but in general, does it actually look like we follow the same rabbi as the rabbi in scripture tells us, Jesus? Does it actually look like his kingdom that we're trying to move forward? Even when we face persecution that Jesus tells us to expect in the culture. We're not to pick up a sword. Instead, we are to choose the good portion. Seek the presence of Christ. And ask him, how do you want your word to move in my life? How do you want me to move? How, what decisions do you want me to make? That's how we move forward. That's how we become more like Christ. And that's how as a church, we express ourselves as disciples of Jesus. By being generous, loving, humble, kind, caring. This is what it means to be a disciple. Discerning his voice, even in a difficult culture. And then going out and doing it with humility, care, and kindness. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for Mary and Martha that we get to learn from their life today on what it means to be a disciple. Lord, help us to seek out the good portion. When we're distracted and pulled away by other things in this world, Lord, help us to remember that you're everything that we need and your presence is enough. At the same time, Lord, thank you that we have examples like Martha one who even in her bitterness being upset with you was honest but then declares the truth of who you are thank you for Mary that even in her own reluctancy ended up at your feet weeping and crying with no words except for what she's feeling Thank you that you're a God who weeps with us, who loves us. Thank you that you're a God who cares so much for his disciples. Help us to discern your voice. Help us to adopt your way of living and your way of life. And help us, Lord, to become better and truer disciples. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.